Welcome to the Dental Code Advisor Podcast, hosted by Practice Boosters coding experts, Dr. Charles Blair and Dr. Greg Grobmeyer. Interpretations of the CDT codes represent the opinions of our experts. For the latest CDT codes and official interpretations, contact the American Dental Association or visit ADA.org. You are responsible for your own use of the CDT codes. Tune in now for timely information regarding dental coding. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dental Code Advisor podcast. This is our sixth episode. Last time on episode five, we continued our talk with Tiffany Wesley, discussing coordination of benefits, PPO plan times, rules of thumb for coordination of benefits and overpayments and adjustments. Lots of good stuff. And I really advise you to go back and give that a listen if you missed it the first time. Today, I have the wonderful opportunity to be speaking to the CEO of my own company here. This is Penny Reed. She is the Chief Executive Officer of Practice Booster and of ESS Publishing and of Dental Zing, our educational division. It's wonderful to have you here. You've got to start with IT at Walmart. You've really come a long way. And she was my very first dental practice management coach. That's a a long and winding road since we first got to know each other many years ago. She's now a leader in dental consulting. She's been named a leader by Dentistry Today from 2007 until the present. And she's also authored a couple of books, Growing Your Dental Business and Persuade with a Case Acceptance Story. Today, we're going to be talking about evaluating participation with insurance plans. And so whether you should be in them, whether you should be getting out of them, what to do uh, if you decide that it's not the place for you. We're going to break into that now. So Penny, it's wonderful to have you. Well, it's exciting to be here. And wow, how you and I met, that just goes to show that you should be kind to everyone. You never know. You never know, (laughs) right? You never know. You may wind up working together again. It was a pleasure working with you then. And it is now. I'm happy and blessed that we had the opportunity to find a reason to work together. So it's a pleasure. And I'm super excited to be here today. This is a topic that I'm very passionate about. As a former business coach, I know you've worked with hundreds of offices who have considered whether or not PPO participation really makes sense or not. So just kind of want to get into it and just think about what are some of the most important aspects of when you're evaluating whether you should participate or not in a PPO. Absolutely. So first and foremost, I would say if you don't feel like either because of the numbers or how much you're wanting to work, what your business plan is, you may decide that participating in a PPO is not for you. My general philosophy is, is if you can stay out and get your full fee, right? If you can get $100 for mowing a lawn instead of $80 or $60, if you have enough of those $100 grass mowing jobs, if that's your business, then by all means, stay out of them, right? I mean, that would be the short answer. But definitely when you're looking at some of the most important aspects, because this, hey, when it comes to our compensation for doing a day's work, right, or doing a dental procedure, this hits pretty close to home. Who really wants to take less than what their market price is for a job that's done? So what tends to happen is the very first thing that we want to do is make it an emotional decision, especially during the pandemic. I saw A lot of that with the clients that, you know, at the time I still had quite a few coaching clients. And when you have limited chair time, it really begins to bring to light how you're spending that chair time. So we want to be sure that this 
I know emotions and vision and mission and what you're passionate about will absolutely play into that. And it should, because at the end of the day, when you're stressed, right, we revert back to our values. We also need to be able to take an objective look because if you do decide to get out of plans, I'll talk about that in just a few minutes. You want to be sure that you've got the right strategy and approach to it as well. So the very first thing is we really need to evaluate how much open chair time we have. Here's the reason for that. If we only look, and I'll say as a consultant, you know, I did practice management coaching full-time for almost 30 years. I made a lot of mistakes. For those of you that worked with me in my first five years, which was Greg, you might be one of those. Um, I would like to apologize. I would like to apologize because I think I was helpful, right? Clients got great results. And at the same time, it's not possible that I could know or have as much experience as I did after 10 years, 15 years. I'm sure like when you get out of dental school, the crown that you do after your 25th year in practice is probably quite different than the one that you did in your first six months. So it was a different world back then. There were very few PPOs and it was pretty easy, right? You could impress your clients by running the report to show, well, this is how much you wrote off, right? You wrote off $300,000. That's missed income. Well, it is and it isn't. So if you would have had another patient in the chair that was paying your full fee, absolutely, that's missed income. So if you had limited capacity, you didn't have open chair time, then you could absolutely look at the write-off. So open chair time, you've got to look at based on your current staffing, as well as your current facility. You know, if you have rooms that are equipped, yet you're not scheduling in those and you're not to the point where you can begin to use them, I wouldn't necessarily consider those in evaluating true open chair time. So you have to look every day, you're paying the same every day, week, month, you're paying the same fixed overhead on your facility, right? Your rent, or note payment, your utilities, you have a lot of basic expenses, you pay the same unless your entire team is on commission, you pay the same staff team cost, right? Unless you're sending people home from different things. So number one is, and this is where you have to put pen to paper, some analytics or software programs might be able to give you some of this information. You have to tell the computer what it is that you're looking for. I would still double check and Go back for a month and evaluate by doctor and also for the hygiene department. How much time did we have open that we were not able to fill? I probably wouldn't even factor in uh, the last minute changes because once again, you might not have had a patient in those anyway. So if you have very little open chair time, just to kind of make a global statement, I would think that participating with PPOs, if you're not doing it yet, probably isn't your best bet. If you have very little open chair time and you do participate with plans, quite likely that you might be able to reduce that a little bit with some of the right marketing strategies. Right, which a PPO participation really is. It's a form of marketing. That's all this is, is you are paying to be in their little book so that you can get more patients and more volume. But if you're not needing the volume, if you're not needing the number of patients, then it, it doesn't make sense to be doing it for a cut fee. Absolutely. So then the other would be the facility. If you would have to add on or spend money, get equipment loans in order to equip and see more patients and you're at capacity, then I would think, once again, probably don't want to layer on 
more PPOs unless you're replacing one that has some miserable reimbursement. And again, that would be where I would look at, and I have a different philosophy when it comes to getting out of network. I'm like teasing everybody. I'll I'll follow up on that in a moment. But the other would be, in addition to open chair time and your facility, your space would be your dollar value per chair hour. And I'm going to talk about marketing and new patient flow here in just a moment. But dollar value per chair hour is something that I really began to become familiar with probably about a decade ago, if not more. And really not only knowing your overhead in general, Sadly, a lot of dental business owners are not as familiar with what their overhead is as ideally they should be. And even if they do know it, they may not realize what is my break even in which we have to produce it before we collect it. So based on my current collection percentage, right, what do I have to produce in order to even cover all of my overhead before I even get paid anything? So we've got to look at a couple of different numbers. Once I know not only what that true break even is before I get paid, and then I also see based on what our current goals are in order to achieve the profitability, like the minimum profitability for the practice where all of the expenses are in line and and I as a business owner am getting paid anywhere close to what I should be getting paid. If we have an ideal day with our current mix of patients and that PPO, can I even hit the target based on what the production is? And if I'm being as efficient as I can be and and being as smart as I can be to deliver the quality and be able to hit those targets, then that's a plan I may want to stay in. But without knowing that dollar value per chair hour, you really can't make a decision based on looking at a fee schedule for a PPO without knowing what that is. And let's just say, for example, what is it for an hour of hygiene? What's your dollar value per chair hour? And then if you take an average recare visit, let's just say, for example, for a child and an average recare visit for an adult, can you even hit it without sacrificing quality? And then I think that's a definite turning point in whether or not that's a plan that you can participate with. Penny was very kind enough to do an article for our last Insurance Solutions newsletter. I believe that was... January, February edition that just came out not long ago. And so if you actually want to see it with numbers, we're not going to do math on the air and lose half our audience. No. Yeah, we don't <laughs> want so to put you to sleep if, you, if you're if driving. If you have an opportunity to go and look at that newsletter, if that's something that you guys are subscribed to, it becomes part of your practice booster membership. And so if you can, you can go back and actually look at precisely how she breaks down that dollar value per chair hour with an example. And I think it's such a critical piece of information to understand to know whether it's worth your while. Absolutely. And that's something that uh, if I was your business partner, we would look at that at least once a year, right? I mean, that's something that we need to keep an eye on, not only for annual planning and production goals and team bonuses, but also to see, does it make sense? Do we need to begin to put in our annual plan that there's a plan that we need to exit for sure? So then marketing, and Dr. Greg, you mentioned this earlier, absolutely. A PPO, it's kind of like marketing that you only use when a patient comes in, right? So in other words, if they're not driving any patients to the practice, then you're not paying. So there's no risk, yet the cost is higher. One way to combat and also to prepare for reducing your PPO dependency is to increase your marketing budget and not simply just throw money at it. 
used to be, this is just my opinion, uh, because in addition to practice management consulting for many, many years, the company that I had, we also did marketing. And then when internet marketing became more complicated, we got smart, I think, and decided to bow out because we had a, knew just enough to be dangerous about SEO and, and various things. So one is to look at your new patient flow. And then I would also look at the breakdown between in-network new patients, as well as those that are out of network or have no insurance coverage at all. I believe one of the last stats that I saw was that 76% of the American population has some form of a dental benefit plan. Now, that doesn't mean that those are all PPOs, but you're definitely going to have to spend more than 1% to 3% in most areas on marketing if you're going to be fee-for-service or not participate in plans, whether you accept assignment of benefit or not. So I have heard through financial planners and marketing companies, you're probably looking at, and there may be some gasps that would be taking place, is 7 to 10%. Well, if you're already in network and you're making those plans to get out of network, right, you would begin, want to ramp up your marketing spend at the same time that you're beginning to reduce your participation. I would imagine if you only wrote off 10% of your collections, you would be happy with those plans, right? Just depends on how you look at the 10% of your collections. Would you rather be spending that on marketing and getting more of your full fee? Or do you want to have more than that taken off on your write-offs? You don't want to be turning away fee-for-service patients and accepting PPO patients hand over fist, not barely have a place to put them. That's not the right situation to be in. Absolutely. Well, and and the other is, and this proves itself to be very difficult, I know, because we tried it in many practices that I coach. You can try to manage it by the appointment book. That's tough, right? You've got a patient on the phone. Where are we going to put them? Well, then you're looking to see what coverage do they have and how do we only get so many patients that have XYZ plan on the schedule in a day? I think, not that it's not possible, I'd rather see your team focus on other things. And then I think one other aspect that I think we really have to take a look at in evaluating whether or not to participate in plans or how many is what is the focus of our practice and what is the procedure mix? Now, if we're known for or if we plan to build a reputation for doing something that hardly anyone else does, in other words, if you have very little competition, either because of your geographic location or your expertise, if they can come to you and get something that they can rarely find anywhere else, it's going to be a whole lot easier for you to be out of network. If you are doing primarily the same procedures that everybody else is doing, then you're competing with other people who, quite frankly, they may be participating in PPOs and spending a significant amount on marketing. So, you know, I think you have to look at what your procedure mix is, what your competitive advantages are, again, which comes back to your brand and your identity in the community. We've talked a lot about, you know, kind of evaluating whether you should be participating, but what if you decide that you are wanting to get out, that it's not a good choice for you, a particular plan? What are some of the steps that you need to take? When do you know that it's the time to exit? Sure. So if the time to exit would be if you have very little open chair time, or, I mean, it can also be a values conflict for you, right? I mean, maybe because of all of those write-offs, you just know you don't enjoy going to work every day. Mm -hmm. It wears on you. 
So if that's the case, if it's not making sense financially or emotionally, right, have that plan. This is what I would do ideally. Or let me tell you what I wouldn't do. I would not rip off the Band-Aid and immediately get out. I would follow a process and don't get out of all of them at once, right? So how do you decide to get out, right? Based on your overhead per chair hour, you can't make a living. You were not born to show up and work that hard and cover all of your bills and not get paid. Also, even when you're scheduled to gold, you're still not making a profit. And then when you look at your hygiene overhead, which I know part of hygiene, often it's said it's a loss leader. It shouldn't be. Right. So when your hygiene overhead exceeds your hygiene income based on those plans, it's time to begin to phase some of those plans out. That's not a good business model. Um, Let me talk a little bit about how to get out. And then I I would like to talk about when you might want to get in, because there are some times when you might want to get in. I don't want this to all be about PPO bad non-PPO good, right? That's kind of like from the environment that we're in. It seems like everybody's talking about going fee for service, fee for service. It's not the ideal situation for everybody. It's not the right fit for everybody that works for some people. It doesn't work for others. Right. So a lot of it could be timing. Maybe you can eventually get out of all of them. Here's what I would say is most practices, this is not a scientific study. This is Penny Reed's opinion from nearly 30 years as a dental practice management coach and having worked very closely with many practices, there will be a very small percentage, maybe a little bit more post-COVID because I think it changed us, right? I think we would be silly to say that it didn't, but there will be a small percentage of practices, whether it's 5%, 7%, that can likely, because of what they provide, their brand, reputation in the community, competition, that could out and out be fee-for-service, right? Let's just say for fun, maybe it's 10%, right? There will be those that can be no plan participation. The sweet spot that I believe most practices should aim for, because I think you have to get here before you can go take that leap straight to not participating, is having a mix of one or two PPOs, maybe three, that the practice participates in. And then the rest of it is non-insurance participation. So I think those that don't participate at all, I wouldn't look at all or none. If I was already participating, I would look at going from what I currently have to reducing the dependency. It will be a much smoother transition. I'm going to tell a story which will encompass sort of what the plan and the process is that I would recommend for getting out because we actually... Even though PPOs were not that popular, the dentists that I worked for, we were part of a DMO, right? Capitation plan. So his wife worked for a private school. They had this capitation plan. The theory behind capitation is you really make the most money when your patients that sign up under you don't utilize your plan very often. Well, because this was a small private school, everybody knew the dentist that I worked for and his wife, and they all came. I mean, literally, I bet we had 95% utilization. We would have two chairs of hygiene and there would be some days where 60 to 80% of hygiene was filled with that capitation plan. Well, you get zero. Yeah. Yeah, you get zero, right, for that. So we were able to, this was a unique situation. You know, we were able to do a little research and we found out that they had another option right? Unlike other companies, uh, this this may not be possible, but it was this capitation plan or 
there was another insurance plan that they could sign up for. So we literally did like this internal face-to-face, voice-to-voice, chair-side conversation with every single one of those families when they came in to say, hey, we'd love to continue to, well, number one, we want to continue to be your dental office, right? We love you guys, your family. And here's what we found, right? We can't continue to be on this plan. And we're wanting to give you a heads up because we know that you have an open enrollment coming up on XYZ date. And it's our hope that you'll choose this other option. So essentially, you convinced the patients to jump ship on that particular plan, get out of the capitation plan and go with the other plan. Right, which may to them was almost the difference between going from PPO to out of network because a lot of these these parents had families of four, six. So you go from having no out-of-pocket on anything other than endo and crowns to now we're asking you, you got a $50 deductible. Sometimes there's a little bit that you have to pay for hygiene. Now you're paying 20% coinsurance on basic. So, I mean, it did cost them. And I believe that we only had four families that didn't switch. But that whole process was about an eight-month process. In other words, you know, right now we're at the beginning of February. If, if we were to put ourselves in a simulator, right, and go back, we're making that plan to say, okay, by January 1 of 2023, we no longer are in this capitation plan. We have this other. So I believe we have to focus on things as a relationship business. If you've never read How to Win Friends and Influence People, you need to read it, right? If you've never read the book Influence by Robert Cialdini, I would recommend reading that one too. If we want patients to value more of the relationship and less of the fee schedule, we owe it to them to have a, and the entire team not only needs to be on board, like nodding their head, yes, I'm on board. They really need to get it and have a passion for why some of these transitions are happening, right? It doesn't need to be, well, we can't pay our bills or the doctor can't afford to give us a raise. You know, we just can't do quality work. We've got to practice these verbal skills about the why. Yeah. And we want to spend more time with you. You know, we absolutely can still take your insurance. We're going out of network. Everything else will be the same. Here's a couple of examples. That's what it boils down to because you're wanting to offer them high quality dentistry and not have to cut corners. You're wanting to continue to be able to take plans and not have to completely drop out of the plan altogether or out of their options. And so ultimately that's not a selfish act. You are doing that in the best interest of the patient. That's where it needs to be. Absolutely. And we're putting them back in the driver's seat of deciding what it is they want for their oral health. So I would, if I was your business partner and you decided to get out of a plan, I would have face-to-face conversations. I would create a dummy procedure code that doesn't go anywhere except for you to be able to check that you've had the conversation with them. You know, let's just say, we'll call it the peanut butter plan because I don't want to call out any specific plans, but hey, every patient coming in on the schedule, morning huddle, who's on the peanut butter plan, right? Who's having conversations with this family and this family? Because what you don't want to do, patients already don't understand their dental benefits. You don't want them to find out because you sent them a letter. That's like getting broken up with. Yeah, exactly. Sticky note or a text (laughs) message. (laughs) It's like, Uh, what does that mean? We need to see other people. So Penny, we're running pretty late. Is there Anything you need to say it. Yeah. So here's what I would say is, because I said I would say it at the end. How do you know when you should get in? One of my mentors said, when you're 
fat, right? You know, like when, when your business is big and fat, you can be picky about what you do. When you're thin and hungry, probably a good idea to get on a couple of plans. That would be the time to do it. If you've got a lot of open chair time and a high fixed cost, I would pick a plan or two. I'd be picky with a higher fee schedule that could help fill that. And then also, what are your demographics? If you practice in Memphis, Tennessee, which is where I was originally from, and the largest employer in town is FedEx, and you're trying to build your business, I would probably sign up for that plan, right? Because those patients know people that are not necessarily on FedEx. So again, very passionate about the topic and thank you so much, Dr. Greg. Well, I'm so happy that you could be here. Our super important topic. We're going to kind of continue along some of the same vein going forward. We've got some topics about not only just the PPO, but the lease networks and these umbrella type things that you're going to be needing to be familiar with. We're going to be talking about that in a podcast that's, that's very soon, understanding how to optimize, negotiate, and figure out how to do it best if you are participating. Look forward to that. And it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Happy to be here. You guys drive safe and be sure and tune in to those next segments on the PPO negotiations. Thank you so much, Penny, and we'll talk next time. This podcast is brought to you by Practice Booster, an e-assist publishing company. To learn more, visit dentalcodeadvisor.com.